Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Essentia is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. That's very good. That's very good. Do we need to explain that for people? No, I think leave it out there. (laughs) That is, before I get cancelled. People Googling furiously. How do I email this prick? (laughs) For the benefit of our confused listeners, that is John doing his very best minionese, isn't it, John? I don't know how many dry runs you had to do on that. Dry runs are the only ones I do, and I did one. You did one. One dry one, and then that was the wet run. (laughs) And why are we speaking in minionese? Because you prepare the document, and I think (laughs) you're struggling. Um, and I'm here to say that if there's anything I could do for you, Ed. <laughs> yes. Well, for those people who are not kind of great fans of the Despicable Me series, which obviously all three of us deeply are, um, having young children between the ages of, of four and eight, Minionese is also known as banana language. Because today, what are we talking about, Mark? The future of bananas. And why are we talking about the future of bananas? Well, why not? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying to John, it's like, I was talking to some people last night. They go, what's the next episode of the podcast on? I was like, the future of bananas. And I just sort of got these blank looks like, go, what are you talking about bananas for? Well, it's not just about bananas. It's about bananas as a proxy for our food system and, you know, yeah. and g- genetic similarities and also the history of how bananas came to be so cultivated and all that kind of stuff. So bananas are a proxy for, for a bigger conversation uh, about systemic issues, just as Minyanese is a proxy for all languages. Yes. <laughs> so it's an, I haven't just insulted the Minions. You're saying I've, I have managed to succeed in my goal of insulting other nations as well. I don't know. I mean, who's going to judge us? It's, I mean, I guess, do we have any Minions who are listeners? If, if there are, please write in and tell us how John did. <laughs> I'd love a Minion. Who doesn't want a Minion? I don't think you get one. I think that that's the trouble. Don't you get a horde? You, it's like all or nothing. Yeah, that's true. I'll take a horde. <laughs> so we have a special guest with us. Although, reading the document, Ed, you seem to know a lot about bananas already. Yes, well, I have to say so on this one. and I, We'll talk about Emma, who's going to join us shortly, who suggested that we do something about bananas. And I said, oh, yeah, we've got to, because Ed is is so up on bananas. I mean, you've been wanting to bananaize us for years. You, I mean, there's there's nothing you don't know about bananas. In fact, there's even a famous gif of you around the internet talking about bananas on John's Ultimate Warrior show a few years ago. You are you are Mr. Banana. I did say when the entire civilization is ground to a sort of dry, burnt-out husk, the only thing that will exist that I created will be that fucking gif of me <laughs> saying bananas don't like having sex with each other. And that will be the only echo of Ed Gillespie uh, in future time. Oh, I look forward to that time. <laughs> well, as you know, bananas are in my blood because my dad used to work on a banana boat when he was in the Merchant Navy in his teenage years. He used to work on a banana boat going across from the UK to the Caribbean to pick up bananas in Jamaica. What's a sentence to start, as you know, with? I didn't know that. You didn't know that? I didn't know that. Yep. So my dad used to be there. In Port Antonio, loading the bananas on the boat, uh, getting horribly sunburnt, slathering himself in olive oil, smoking illegal substances in sort of Jamaican shabines and listening to live reggae. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, and everybody knows that my dad used to work on a Persimian plane. What's a Persimian plane? <laughs> 
A plane full of persimmons. I thought they were persimmons. Persimmons? Oh, no, we don't all say it differently, do we? <laughs> it is, you're right. It's persimmons, isn't it? Persimmon? Persimmon. I thought they made shit homes. Uh, another slam. <laughs> um, oh, they do, yeah. Persimmon homes. Now, there's a funny story once, because my dad told me, look, I remember hearing this band play, uh, you know, in one of these sort of like zinc bars next to the port. And he said he couldn't remember the name of the singer, but he could remember how the song went. Uh, and it went, you know, I need a fat girl, fat girl, fat girl tonight. And Dad was obsessed with this song. Anyway, uh, for his 60th birthday, when I was living in Brixton, I went down to uh, like the old school reggae record shop on Brixton Market. And I went in, and I went up to the counter and the guy sort of said, you know, I can help you. And I said, yeah, I'm trying to find this track yeah so i don't know the singer and i don't know the name of the song but i can sing it <laughs> <laughs> at which point you know like the two rasta guys at the end of the county sort of turn around and go it's gonna be interesting um <laughs> so i sang i like you know i need a fat girl he just went fatty fatty by ken booth and it was on the wall <laughs> behind it um so i bought it for my dad's 60th and uh he shed a little tear at the kind of memory that was recreated i suspect lots of people have cried at that song over the years I have to say, every time Ed sings, I do I do feel myself <laughs> feeling very sad. Yeah, you did it in a wonderfully sort of crooner, you know, Paul Anker style. Well, yeah, I haven't done Shirley Bassey impression for at least three series. I tell you what, I've Googled persimmon and I think I'm one. <laughs> the BBC definition of a persimmon is a thin-skinned fruit that requires thought and time to enjoy it its best. <laughs> That's the best description of me I've ever read. That sounds like many of your Guardian reviews, doesn't it? I'm sure that was my yeah. Edinburgh show, 2013. <laughs> when ripe and firm, the flesh is very astringent and unpleasant. <laughs> direct quotes now. Do you know a banana is actually a berry? This yes. is what I found out. It's it a leathery berry. So what does that make you think of? Who wants to be the leathery berry then? If I'm the thin-screened fruit, who wants to be leathery berry? <laughs> leathery berry sounds like she used to be in a, in a girl band. <laughs> yeah. All <laughs> oh, right. Is there any sanity from our listeners in the, uh, in the post bag to counteract our slow descent? We had a nice bit of listener feedback on the Sarty Lloyd episode about talking to kids about climate change, where Abigail said, what a fantastic person Sarty is. Love her outlook on things. She definitely helped me move my emotional seesaw from the, oh, fuck, we're just fucked, everything is fucked end, to the, there's hope for some kind of future end. So uh, that was uh, suitably upbeat. Oh, that was nice. Yes. And there was there's a few other people. Uh, or sort of listening back to our one on animal communication, which seems to be very popular, just saying how sad they were for me and how great the show was. Well, yes, because, you know, because we're now going to make sure that you do commune with nature in a way that you perhaps you haven't done in your previous 50 years. Well, you are coming around to mine for Christmas, so that'll be communing with some kind of wild animal. <laughs> yeah, like sort of chimpanzee tea party. <laughs> I'm going to be there. I'm going to be uh, squatting on my haunches at the end of the Christmas dinner table. Yes. Eating with my hands. It's going to be a future noughts Christmas at mine. God, God. Leathery berries everywhere. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How is California, Mark? Because you've been out in the sunshine. Uh, California was extraordinary. I had I had a, a fully transformative week, actually. Did you find yourself? Well, I was. In, first of all, I went out and, and had to do some deep psychotherapy on an NGO, which was which which was um, I quite surprised myself that I was actually better than I thought I was going to be. Then I was rude to some billionaires about their investing. I essentially told them that they were a generational Ponzi scheme. And then um, and then I had this really amazing. I went to see an, an, another billionaire, uh, a friend of mine called Bill, Bill the billionaire. Who's, who's doing this amazing stuff in soil carbon, which um, we're getting involved with. And and then while I was there with him, he said, oh, Paul Hawken wants to meet you. And he's mm. coming around for breakfast. Now, for those of you who don't know who Paul Hawken is, in our world, Ed, he's a bit of a god. He's a bit of a legend. Yes. Yeah. He's, yeah. How would you describe Paul Hawken? Well, I mean, he's one of the most erudite, articulate pioneers who has dedicated decades of his life to raising consciousness and awareness around the cause. Yeah, and he wrote the Drawdown book and project as well. And also, I don't know if you know this, Ed, but I found out a while ago that he, he started his career as Martin Luther King's press secretary. Wow. Okay. Wow. So 
it, so this guy's a dude. He comes around. He says, "Oh, Bill says, oh, oh, Paul wants to meet you," which is which is surprising enough. Anyway, then we start chatting and uh, sort of you know having a, a quite interesting, robust conversation about various issues to do with climate and carbon. And then at one point, he just stops and he looks at me and goes, "Your your mind is extraordinary, and your use of language is sort of out of the park. You're 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 brilliant." And I looked a bit surprised, and he stops me and says, "No, I'm, I really want to say that to you. Pay attention." And it struck me as incredibly profound ever since because, you know, that's Paul Hawkin, you know, who's amazing. But, you know, he used to do it with Martin Luther King. And if somebody says to you, your language is good, and they used to do it with Martin Luther King, it's it's a sort of compliment you can't bat away because otherwise you're kind of doing the person that you admire a disservice. That's amazing. You know, I keep Martin Luther King's speeches, you know, near me at all times. So if I get stuck for a, something to say, I kind of I sometimes have a look and say, oh, what would Martin have done? So, and suddenly I suddenly found myself thinking, well, I'm meant to be here. And that was a really profound and brilliant feeling. So I don't often feel that. So, um, so yeah, it was pretty transformative. It's amazing how talking about this stuff all day, every day makes you quite good at it. <laughs> yeah, but look at the people I choose to hang out with. <laughs> I know, I know. But we're just here to make you look good. You know, if, if I was serious about this, why would I hang out with you cunts? <laughs> <laughs> that, that sort of language he approved of, is it? Is yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of say. You ought to see the first draft of I Have a Dream. It's very, very different. <laughs> it's much bluer. <laughs> I have a fucking dream. There I was saying, I shouldn't disrespect Martin Luther King. And, uh, yeah. and no, you've, you've done it now. Now you've, made me, now you've made me do it. Shall we, shall we introduce our guest? <laughs> oh, hang on. No, before we introduce well, uh, Ed, let's just talk about you going to hotel football. Do you really want to talk about that? <laughs> well, that's why I asked. That's why I asked. I, I, I mean, the clues in the question. No, I don't want to talk about it. That's why it I asked quite, about it. It was quite funny. I was slightly disappointed that the DV cover wasn't like MUFC from like you know the for the late nineteen seventies because that would have been very much more on theme. But yeah, I stayed right next to Old Trafford. Uh, which was a very weird experience going to a football hotel. Hmm. It's a very odd theme. How can you have a romantic night in a football hotel? John? Oh, come on, John. This is, <laughs> this is an answer for John Richardson, if ever there was one. Oh, well, uh, yeah, I, I've had some wonderful nights in, in football hotels on my own. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking of Marcelo Bielsa. Yes. Those, those promotion games coming out of a pandemic. Why were you in a football hotel? Uh, I was giving a talk at Old Trafford. Why were you doing that? They don't need a future. They've got enough. They've got a past. No, I know. Well, it wasn't for Old Trafford. It wasn't sort of Billy Graham evangelical style to a stadium full of 80,000 people. Um, I was in one of the uh, one of the conference suites speaking to a health, safety and environment conference. Okay. Oh, okay. Mark's with the billionaires and you know, hanging out and getting praise from one of the most world's most renowned environmental pioneers. Uh, and I'm talking to a health, safety and environment conference and staying at Hotel Football at Old Trafford. Yeah, and I think we should look at this moment and just see it as as for what it really what it really stands for. It just 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 think upon what you've just said, and I think that people will understand the difference between us. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to introduce our guest while you're trying so hard to get rid of the few friendships you have? Let's let's introduce another one dangling by a thread. <laughs> I will. I will. I will. So our guest today is the barely known environmentalist Eddie Gillespie, who has been known <laughs> <laughs> hanging on the coattails of his more famous and influential friends, particularly John Richardson and Mark Stevenson. He's a terrible poet. Uh, no, that's <laughs> you know that I you know that I can only be this rude to you because actually I regard you in the same esteem as Mr. Hawking and those other people. So anyway, I will actually introduce our, our guest proper. Um, who is is a very entertaining lady. I've only met her in, in the flesh once, but immediately she grabbed hold of me essentially and said, would you like to talk about bananas? Uh, <laughs> and I said, of course, who doesn't? Uh, you can talk to us a bit about uh, who you are. I mean, but, but I was speaking at this conference called Creating the Future the other day with lots of other interesting people like um, Tim Schmidt and, and Chris Van Tulliken, and it's all about the future and how to fix it and that kind of thing. And uh, in the audience uh, was, was Emma Stewart-Smith, Emma is now like a banana expert and sort of biodiversity sort of specialist. And, and I'll come on to, well, you can tell us a bit more about what you do, but, uh, okay. but yes, but you were very, very vexed, particularly about bananas. <laughs> God, uh, and, but you didn't start off, you didn't start off as a, as a biodiversity banana, do all the things with bees person. Yeah. You, you actually started off as a musician or advertising and then as a as jazz musician. Yeah, so I you, used you, to be a jazz singer. Yes. Which is quite useful because there's loads of really fantastic songs about bananas Mm. We were just talking about a few of those, but but like what? Yes, we know God de banana. 
from Louis Prima. And then there's Dale, Dale. It's just a lovely, you know, whenever anybody sings about bananas, you're immediately transported to, you know, where they're grown, aren't you? It's like warm and sunny and gorgeous. Yes. Do you know, Yes, We Have No Bananas was actually the best-selling sheet music in history for a very long time. Was it? it? It was that popular in the 20s and 30s. How do you know stuff like that? That is super nerd. <laughs> what I've just heard in that moment is John and I saying nothing for the next 40 minutes because it's <laughs> the, the banana people have met. Yes. And uh, now we are surplus <laughs> to requirements. Well, it's um, funny so- you were there with Tim Smith because actually I was speaking to Tim Smith last night and saying we we're doing a show about bananas and he told me something which was totally factually incorrect about bananas because he <laughs> asked me, he said, which country in the world produces the most bananas per capita? Wales. Wales. <laughs> it's not Wales. Uh, but I like your thinking. Emma, do you know? Well, I was going to say India. Yeah. So per capita, this is the, this was the, yeah, this was this was oh, yeah. you threw that in. Okay, so what's the answer then? Uh, well, no, Tim goes. It's Iceland, and I was like, no, <laughs> it's well, not Iceland. And Tim's, I see where I see where he's going with that because Iceland's only three hundred thousand people. It's the size of Lewisham, so yeah. they don't have to produce many bananas. But it turns out it's a total myth. Like they used to grow loads of bananas in Iceland in the sixties using all of their ambient geothermal heat, but it turns out it's rubbish. So I was going to email Tim this morning and say, I thought you knew a lot about plants but you've just sold me a pup before i go and do a podcast that i could have repeated on air if i hadn't fact checked it look at this and this is the man who set up the biggest sort of um greenhouse in the world basically <laughs> to, to grow these like plants you know for, particularly from tropical areas i think we should check all those uh all those signs by the plants in the eden yeah, yeah. 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 you're wrong yeah <laughs> someone ought to go down there and just check the facts yeah, that, that's it. That's a trip. It's a future notes trip down to basically discredit the entire Eden project. <laughs> so, Emma, how did you move from the world of singing about bananas to being Miss Banana? Well, a family friend said, um, I want somebody to reboot a charity, which is um, going to raise money to bring back biodiversity. One of the things is bananas, but it's also all sorts of different food crops. And it's just been the most amazing journey since February. My first day in the job, I flew to Colombia and I went to a seed bank called Future Seeds, which has got the world's biggest collection of beans and cassava and tropical grasses. And um, you've got all these scientists looking into the genetic variety of these things to produce crops that can grow in hotter temperatures or with less water. And it's really incredible science. And then I went to a place in Belgium, which has got the world's biggest collection of bananas, all in little test tubes, and started realizing just how serious the banana disease problem is throughout the world. But there's an upside to the story, because <laughs> when I was speaking to the scientists who were off on their banana, wild banana collecting expeditions in Papua New Guinea, they said, actually, it could be a good thing for the world if uh, the Cavendish is wiped out, because maybe we'll see, you know, come to our senses and grow lots and lots of different types of bananas for the export market. Because actually the Cavendish is, is just so boring. And, and just, for, just for our listeners to understand, that that's that's the standard banana that we have. That's the yeah. Cavendish banana. It's a particular smell. That all sounds very fascinating. What was it that the, the, the charity thought that you, having been a jazz singer, qualified you to go and do this amazing job? Well, the thing is, I have to go and talk to wealthy philanthropists. Right. They're busy people, and they've made lots and lots of money, and they've got no time. So what you need is somebody who can just walk up to them. And say, would you like to talk about bananas? Sing a song, grab their attention, tell a good story, and then and then immediately they want to um, get involved. I see, and you've, you've absolutely proved that by how you sort of wheedled your way onto this podcast yeah. you, of these three horrible men. It's of these three uh, philanthropists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, come on. Now I'm going to I'm going to hand over mostly to Ed now because Ed is our banana king, and you can be banana queen. Okay. And between us, I guess that makes John and I banana princes that's uh, waiting to be anointed. Okay. <laughs> Marvelous. So a bunch of bananas. Emma, should we take it back a, a step or two first? Yeah, let's do that, Ed. When did we first start eating bananas as human beings? Where did they come from? Funnily enough, I think I think they were around in prehistoric times because I think they found some, you know, evidence. I think Alexander the Great might have brought some over to the West. But, I mean, they've been around for ages. You know, if you look at places like Papua New Guinea and other islands, they've been there. So 
I think humans have always loved them. But you've got to be careful because the wild bananas are so full of black seeds. There's not much to eat there. Yeah, because that's the thing, isn't it? That's the sort of root of the problem, isn't it? It's like the wild banana is a bugger to eat. Yeah. <laughs> because you can't, you can't just take a bite out of it because, as you say, you'd get a mouthful of big... It sounds like the beginning of a limerick, doesn't it? The wild banana is a bugger to eat. <laughs> because of all those black seeds. <laughs> and you can't expel them either. So they sit in the bottom of your gut like a little pile of stones. Oh, God. Well, you can't poo them? No. Oh. No, no. they've got people who get very hungry and eat wild bananas have a real problem. Wow. And bananas aren't even trees, are they? No. We talk about banana trees, um, but they're not, they're not trees. Yeah, you're quite right. And they're like the stem is called a pseudo stem because it's actually tightly wrapped leaves. So, yeah, it's not even a tree. What is it, a herb? It's, a, it's the world's largest herb, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So a banana's a berry and a banana tree is a herb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're following this. And the, fruit, <laughs> the fruit grows from heart in bunches of fingers called hands. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> and they've got male and female flowers. Right. So you, if, you're, if you're hand pollinating, you've got to get your ladder and go up and collect the pollen. I mean, Ed knows a lot about hand pollinating, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't. The, the thing is, this is the thing, isn't it, Emma? They really, they're really useless at having sex with each other. I yeah, mean, they, you know, they rely on the birds for that. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, you know, someone's, some people have said that the lack of sex is what is killing bananas, you know, and, you know, they're not even married. <laughs> no, well, the, the Cavendish banana that we all know is asexual. Right. Oh, my God. And it's sterile. Right. It's just no good for sex at all. Wow. It's a fun life as a Cavendish banana. The, the seeds in a Cavendish banana are so tiny. It doesn't make a new banana, put it that way. It's a parthenocarp. That is the technical Ooh, term. Oh, a parthenocarp, good. which is it's the development of fruit without fertilization. Right. So that's right. the, it's a sterile fruit that lacks seeds. Yeah, John, are you are you following this? There's times when I think, oh, I just uh, there's a joke I could make there, but oh, it's inappropriate. And it'll drag the tone down, and then by the time I've thought that, you've already done it. <laughs> <laughs> Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Oh, it's such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. When you say the Cavendish banana is the one we know, yes. Do you mean that that is everywhere? Are we talking like ninety nine percent coverage, fifty percent coverage? That that's the one that they export, and there's huge banana plantations around the world to feed our need for bananas. But if you live in a banana producing country, there's hundreds of varieties. There's red ones. There's blue ones. There's huge ones called rhino horns. You know, there's so many and they're so delicious compared to the one that we know. Can I ask a, a question that I'm sure is going to reveal me as an idiot in the banana world? Yeah. It, is a plantain like a, a related to bananas? Yes. So oh, plant, thank God. Plantain right. is, is one that you cook. Right. Good. Okay. Yeah. But all there's right. some countries where they eat, you know, they eat sort of bananas all day. Uganda, it's a, such a staple food. And it's got much more vitamin A in these other ones. So if you want your daily vitamin A allowance, it's 80 Cavendish bananas compared to 
like another one, which might you only have to eat two. Yeah, we'll get on to eating lots of bananas later. We'll be talking about the radioactive abilities of bananas as well and, mm. uh, and how many you'd have to eat to have the equivalent radiation of a chest X-ray, which is quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, because we love them, don't we? Like Brits apparently eat about 5 billion bananas a year, which is about 100 each per year or to, to a week. That's just my son. That's just Harris. <laughs> <laughs> so we eat vast quantities of them, but I want to just drill into that challenge, Emma, you were saying. So the Cavendish is the one that is commercially cultivated and the one that is exported. Yeah, and you know that the one before that went completely extinct. The Gros Michel. The Gros Michel. Or Big Mike, uh, as uh, it was more colloquially known. Yeah, exactly. That died out due to this disease called Panama disease. And um, so the Cavendish was grown because it was resistant to that. But now this new disease, is, which is a relation of the serial killer Panama, it's called TR4. Right. And um, that's killing the Cavendish. And it's, it's, you know, it's traveled from Asia to Africa to South America. And it's a really, really difficult one. You can't treat it because um, it's got these things called chlamydospores, oh, which God. sit in the ground, sound a bit like chlamydia, and uh, <laughs> sit in the ground and you can transport them in your, on your boot and through water. So actually the only cure is to grow something else in that field. You can't, you know, carry on. But the problem is, isn't it, the fact that because we effectively sort of clone the Cavendish, it's all genetically identical, which is what makes it so vulnerable globally, isn't it, to these new pathogens and these new infections which are going to take it out. Some people argue that the Cavendish banana is one of the world's biggest organisms because <laughs> they're almost genetically identical across the whole world. Yeah. Obviously, there's a risk to the bananas that we eat and buy in the shops to this then. But in terms of biodiversity in the planet, is, th is there an argument that it's vaguely positive, that you're not allowed to just clone something that doesn't really offer anything environmentally? Well, I think we're being taught a lesson by nature, aren't we? We should be eating a, a whole range of different bananas, and we shouldn't be having these huge plantations with only one variety in. Serves us right. Why do we? Let's, you know, how fucked are we? You have to look back in time at big business. Mm, okay. Have you heard of United Fruit? Big banana business. And I mean, it's so dark. It's about as dark as the history of sugar cane. Yeah. Yeah, we've got big business. We've got slavery. This sounds like proper future nought territory here. Like, like when we, we really expose, we pull back the veil and, and show just how ugly your banana is. Tell us. Tell us the ugliness underneath the, the yellow fruity exterior. Do you remember that phrase, Banana Republic? Yes. Yeah. Do you know why it was called that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I'm not going to steal your thunder, Emma. I'm going to no, give go you on the Ed, floor. Go on, Ed, no, you, I'm no. sure you know more than me. No, it makes me sound like a wanker. So I'm going to keep oh, my mouth okay, shut. Okay, so I'll sound like a wanker instead. <laughs> you do it. To be honest, Ed, that ship sailed about four series ago. Uh, so we're good. That yeah. banana boat is halfway across the Atlantic. Yeah, but I mean, in, in a nutshell... Um, United Fruit, and there was one other one called Sam, I can't remember his surname, but um, the two sort of big banana growers, you know, huge, huge millions of acres of growing one type of banana, and they completely cornered the market. And they were so powerful in these small South American countries that they sort of um, took over governments. And that's why, why Banana Republic was born as a phrase. And it's the birthplace of industrialization. I mean, in some ways, these vast, like, multinational giants, like you say, like United Fruit Company, that emerged were, were some of the first businesses to do all the vertical integration. So yeah. they grew, they processed, they shipped, they marketed, they used technology, so steamships and railroads and refrigeration. And, and also they used political influence and often violence to create what somebody dryly described as enclave economies, but were basically like servile oligarchies. So, yeah. you know, they exploited indigenous people. Um, they didn't pay any tax in the countries in which they operated. You know, they covered the land and still have done in relatively recent years with fungicides and pesticides to treat the crops. So, you know, it was awful. As you say, it's a sort of like state-sanctioned enslavement of the people and the land for the production of bananas. So it was, yeah. yeah. Do you know what that makes me think? What? It makes me think, if, if I were like wanting to launch a new sort of clothing brand, 
Banana Republic <laughs> would be an absolutely brilliant name for it because it, yeah. it, it speaks to such optimism and sort of aspiration. Doesn't what, it just? Who the fuck thought? When did Gap think? I tell you what, Banana Republic's a great name for yeah. a brand because it evokes yeah. such wonderfully warm feelings. Yeah, it doesn't exist anymore, does it? Banana Republic. It, it does. I thought I thought they'd gone bust. I'm on the website bananarepublic.gap.com. There you go, still exists, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I can see some Banana Republic classics. <laughs> yeah, try our slavery tea. Try our vertically integrated uh, agri nightmare jeans. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. How does that? How did those get, ever get past the drawing board? Do you think someone might have done a kind of Google at some point and just went, guys, you know, I'm really not sure about the Banana Republic echo of the brand. You know, do you think it might have some taint? Yeah. It'd be like calling it, I don't know, something like um, uh, Tomato Concentration Camp. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Persimmon Gulag. Actually, it does sound quite stylish somehow. I don't know why. John, that's your brand. Persimmon Gulag Cardigans. I've lost now in these uh, Italian tweed suits and traveller pants. <laughs> I'll tell you what, they can call themselves what they like if they're knocking out knitwear like that. I mean, that cashmere sweater polo. Anyway, yeah, totally, totally on board, guys. Awful, awful pieces of shit. Closed it down. <laughs> Do we know as to why? Why this first happened in bananas as opposed to any other kind of commodity? Why? Why bananas? Why and why? Um, why are they so evil? What, what was? What? What makes bananas the the root of all all naughtiness? What do you mean the root of all evil? Well, why did it happen with bananas? Is it? I, I guess it was probably something to do with the novel, the novelty and the deliciousness, and people loved the exoticism of the banana uh, and the fact that they felt different, and then so it becomes something that can be commodified. Ah, yes. And also, they're very easy to transport, aren't they? Yeah, they're very easy to transport. And you've got to imagine at the World Fair in America, when a banana was first produced, the excitement (laughs) was off the scale. The banana was like the Kim Kardashian of its day. Yeah, it like swaggered up onto the stage and said, look at me. Yes, yeah, so so essentially, was it uh, you know a bit like sugar, sort of Western demand for this kind of exotic and yeah. delicious product that basically drove an unseen industry built upon slavery and, and extractive behaviour? Yeah, people could see the profits. Yes, so it's very like going to a John Richardson gig, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where one person extracts all this wealth from these poor saps who can't really see what's going on behind the scenes. <laughs> Tickets still available for uh, Belfast next year. <laughs> Three dates left. Did you know you can also eat banana peel? Has anyone yes. ever eaten banana peel? Uh, well, uh, Harris will. <laughs> really? Does he just not bother peeling? He just bites them. Well, he'll actually he'll eat anything. He'll I've been desperately yeah. trying to teach my daughter how to open bananas the monkey way as well. What is the monkey way? You, you open them from the bottom of the banana, not the stalk end. You know those little stringy bits you get when you peel open a banana? Yeah. yeah. You get less of those when you open it from the bottom. Did you know that monkeys get diabetes in zoos if they get too many bananas? Because oh, actually no. in the wild, they don't just sit there eating bananas. They eat everything, berries and leaves and stuff. Hang on, but, hang on. Bananas are berries. All right, but other berries. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in zoos, you know, you sort of think of a, a monkey just eating bananas, but it's really bad for them. They get diabetes. Right, so even even the sort of the classic monkey eating a banana trope is it's a myth. Okay, yeah, I never knew that I'd been lied to so much by bananas. I know it's shocking, isn't it? I've been quite depressed this week actually, but there is hope. <laughs> John, have you ever had like banana flour vegan fish and chips? Uh, I haven't. No, I, I have a can of banana blossom downstairs. Are you too aware of? Yeah, I'm aware of it becoming uh, a trend. In the vegan movement. What is this trend? Well, banana blossom is supposed to be a delicious vegan uh, substitute. For what? Fish and chips. Fish and chips. Fish and chips. Yeah, you can make you can make curries with it, I think. Yeah. I tell you what, if anybody says to me, this is a substitute for both fish and chips, it already <laughs> sounds disgusting. <laughs> it can be fish or it can be chips, but it can't be fish and chips. That just sounds like, you know, some generic disgustingness. Well, the fish and chip industry is a tricky one because what they mean is you can batter this and it tastes nice 
with loads of butter and vinegar on it, but itself it doesn't have any. Everything tastes nice with loads of butter and vinegar on it, doesn't it? I mean, that, even, you know, even Mars bars, even Mars yeah. and tempura vegetables. Basically, what they're saying is this is tempura. But as I understand it, there's no particular nutritional gain. It's certainly in terms of protein, which is the structure of most meals, you end up with sort of carbohydrate bland thing with batter on it and then some potatoes. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of favourite meal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what needs to be done, Emma? Like, like, so let's give you like uh, ult- ultimate power and tell us what you would do with bananas, why you would do that, and what that also means in terms of like the, the rest of the, the, the food industry and the food supply chain. Like, I'm assuming that m- bananas are somewhat of a microcosm for other problems in our food system. Yeah, I mean, I think talking to the scientists that I've met this year who are all into sort of bringing back lots and lots of different varieties of beans and bananas and cassava. They just want the world to have a more diverse diet. And um, they're working hard to make it more nutritious as well, which is fantastic. So I think with bananas, most people I've spoken to, so we can go on genetically modifying bananas so they're resistant to this current disease, but the same thing will happen again. So the world's got a real opportunity to just eat a whole lot of different types. You know, the Mm. red ones, the blue ones, the creamy ones, the silky ones. There's one called Goldfinger that's coming along. Which Goldfinger! (laughs) We were waiting for a Shirley Bassey impression from Ed. You just took it away from me. (laughs) Did you say blue bananas? Yeah. Oh, so the blue Java tastes like ice cream. Mm. Sounds like a bar you might have sung in as a as a jazz singer. Yeah. <laughs> blue Java. In fact, I might make up a song. But yeah, there's so much diversity out there for bananas, and I think we've got a real opportunity globally. But how does that manifest for like a consumer? Because that strikes me as a very that's a very high up conversation about, as you say, landowners and the people who buy these. Yes. I mean, I I think you're right. I think probably cost. We'll have to pay more for our bananas. Mm. We'll have to pay more for our bananas. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we have to think about that because, you know, I think I pay 27p for a ban- banana these days, one banana. That still always seems to me incredibly cheap when you think about the cultivation and the shipping, you know, yeah. and the ripening that has to go on in that process to bring that banana to you. I mean, in, just in terms of diversity, I found a great quote from an article by Mike Bede in The New Yorker. He was describing like the diversity of ancestral bananas. And he said, you know, there are fuzzy bananas whose skins are bubblegum pink. Uh, there are green and white striped bananas, which have pulp the color of orange sherbet you've got bananas that when cooked taste like strawberries Mm -hmm. the chinese name of the aromatic go san hyong banana means you can smell it from the next mountain which sounds like an amazing (laughs) banana Uh, and then you've got one which which produces like bunches of a thousand fingers which each only an inch long which sort of sounds slightly nightmarish (laughs) and you've got ones that taste of lemon wow are you sure that's not just somebody confusing a lemon for a banana? <laughs> this one tastes remarkably like a lemon. Look how sort of fat and round it is. What an incredible <laughs> banana. So t- tell us a bit about your charity, Bioversity. Bioversity International. And what it's trying to do. Because it's not just bananas. I, I would hate people to think that you were just a jazz singer and the banana lady. You're so much more than that. Yeah. No, we, um, we are, I suppose, trying to help smellholder farmers in the global south who uh, – at the forefront of all the changes from climate change. And they're incredibly resilient already and canny people. And 50% of the 600 million of them are women. And so they really know what they're doing and what they need is improved seed varieties. They need apps, like we've got this thing called the Tamani app, which harnesses all the sort of brilliant technological advances from AI and big data for tracking banana diseases and other things. So, you know, if you can imagine everybody has a phone now. Mm. And so, you know, we, we develop technologies for them so that farmers have fantastic tools to deal with all the things that they're dealing with. So you're helping them cultivate a wider range of bananas, basically? Not, not just that, but just helping them farm better, get better prices for their produce, cope with diseases, be informed with local data about what's happening with the weather and diseases and things like that. So just giving them tools that can help them increase their livelihoods. 
what are the obstacles to them getting paid a better price for their products? Is it, as you would assume, Western strong arming? Yeah, I think the middlemen get the profits. Mm. And so mm. if we can work on giving them better prices in the markets, that would be great. And how does that sit with like, so from what I understand, about a third of exported bananas are now grown under the voluntary certification schemes like Rainforest Alliance and Fair Trade, which are supposed to be doing that, both that ecological and environmental improvement, plus also making sure that people are paid a fair price. Where's the other two thirds coming from? And, and what do we do about that? That would be big business. So we've got to put pressure on them to pay their growers more. Mm. Right. So that's where Mark comes in with his insultancy, I think. Uh, okay. <laughs> now, can we talk about erectile dysfunction, Ed? Yes. If you like. I mean, like, you know, I'm not sure now's the time. I thought you were going to save that for after the podcast, but, you know, if you want to bring it in now. Oh, no, you're right. Let's do that later. Let's do that later. We know. Turn, turn, <laughs> turn your webcam off. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, apparently in, in, in Central America, like there is an indigenous practice of drinking the sap or the juice of the red banana because it's believed to have aphrodisiac qualities. But I think you're alluding to something more eight-legged, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. Well, actually, Emma, you, you brought this to my attention a couple of days ago. You brought the potential for prolonged and painful erections to Mark's attention. <laughs> <laughs> my niece um, was in Colombia and they were all really worried about the banana spider um, because they found out that one bite from a banana spider causes a really painful erection for hours. And the wow. <laughs> so it's like a, not a funny one. It's not a pleasurable one. I've, lo- I've run out of Viagra, darling, but I have got a banana spider. <laughs> so I'm just going to go and get bitten. Well, you, you laugh, but actually the scientists are looking into how they can extract the, you know, the venom and make it into a sort of banana Viagra. So there's this, there's an advantage to this. You just need the antidote, Andy. Yes. Well, what's the antidote? <laughs> what, what, what's the antidote to sexual arousal, Ed? Don't pull at that thread. Going on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, as well as that, bananas can make you feel good, can't they, as well? But they can improve your mood. I mean, they contain quite high levels of tryptophan. Um, which apparently your body converts into serotonin, yes. which obviously oh. is is what happens when you take ecstasy and MDMA and you have all these mood-enhancing properties. Is that where, you know, having a good trip comes from? Ooh, possibly. Oh. You mean you trip on a banana skin? <laughs> you, you really are tripping. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently it's also good for seasonal affective disorder. Um, you know, so as the winter nights draw in, have a banana. Yeah. Do you know what? I don't really like bananas, but I'm now thinking that I might want to eat one. But that's because yeah. you haven't tried the really good ones. Yeah, well, I'm also worried now I'm going to get a painful erection if I, if I eat the wrong one. <laughs> no, that's if you eat the spider. Well, if I eat the spider, yes. I mean, you know, and I'm more likely to eat a banana spider on a banana than, say, on a tomato. <laughs> Do you remember that time when the banana spider was found in a supermarket in the UK? And the Daily no. Mail did this brilliant headline, which was... Uh, Frightened shoppers scared of erections in aisles or something. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. In terms of the ecology, the bananas, it, it's a fine thing to eat then because we're not supposed to import fruit from the other side of the planet in winter months, are we? No, but I think, I mean, Mike Berners-Lee, you know, who's the 
brother of um, Tim Berners-Lee, who invented the World Wide Web. Um, it's right, a massive it's, underachieving family, that family. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. They just they need to raise their game, don't they, seriously? In fact, I feel sorry for Mike, because every time he says Mike Berners-Lee, because his son is Berners-Lee, he goes, you know, the brother of. And it actually, yeah. Mike by himself is an extraordinary researcher and thinker, <laughs> yeah. especially about climate. So I think we should say, you know, that Tim Berners-Lee, brother of the amazing Mike Berners-Lee, we should readdress this because, you know, because you could argue that the internet has done yeah. a lot to damage the environment, whereas Mike's you know trying to undo his brother's bad work. <laughs> Is there a, a Steve Berners Lee who hasn't done either of those things? It yeah, no, Steve's worse. a complete waster. He's just yeah. <laughs> he's just a banana addict. Yeah, he's having a trip. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Mike wrote famously wrote the book "How Bad Are Bananas," which um, is all looking at the carbon footprint of various different products. And he actually said, you know, he did all the calculations and looked into it and said, actually, they're pretty good. You know, you get about 140 calories. Uh, from a single banana you get loads of vitamin c and vitamin a like um emma was describing earlier but because they're grown in natural sunlight you know you don't you can grow them outdoors in the right places they are transported by ship as i was saying in terms of the banana boats because they can be as well can't they because they don't because yeah. they, they keep well they don't they don't they don't perish yeah exactly so you you ship them green and then you they are ripened on arrival in port so you know you have these big warehouses where uh, they pump the ethylene gas into to make your bananas yellow which incidentally is why they are so bright yellow it's actually the ripening process which makes them that bright yellow color before they come onto the shelf and do you know they also glow in the dark is the banana index something that was invented to look at the carbon footprint of food have you heard of that I've heard of it in the context of the radioactivity, the banana oh. equivalent dose, but I haven't heard about the banana index. Maybe and that might be something that Mike developed. It sounds like it could be. It sounds like his, doesn't it? Because I think yeah. they do it in The Economist every now and then. They mention the banana index, and I think it is the carbon footprint of ah. food. So the banana probably comes out pretty well. You're right. Yes, banana index economist, a different way to measure the climate impact of food. There we go. There we go. Because a banana equivalent dose is the dose of radiation. um, That's right. You you would get from um, eating a single banana because bananas do contain a small amount of radioactive potassium. Yes. Potassium 40. But actually, you know, you'd have to eat quite a lot of bananas to get a fatal dose. How many bananas, Ed? How many? You'd You'd need to eat 700 a day for 80 years. If you have a chest scan, that's about 70,000 banana equivalent doses of okay. radiation. And if you have a very painful erection that lasts for hours, how many, how many banana <laughs> equivalents? <laughs> I could say there's a superhero story emerging here, isn't there, with like radioactive bananas and banana spider bites. Mm, banana man. The question I was going to ask is, in real terms, how many bananas, because I know the banana coming across and it ripens in port and all that, but how many bananas eaten to bananas purchased because banana bread was a big thing in lockdown, Mm. but it feels like we've all sort of gone back to actually just fuck it in the bin. Well, apparently we throw about one and a half million a day away, which is awful. Oh my God, that's horrific. In the UK? In the UK, yeah. So, you know, it's terrible because you can basically continue to eat the banana even when it's like you know, gone completely black uh, and is almost leaking out of its skin. But, you know, people mindlessly will throw them away when they're, when they're still perfectly edible. And I said you can eat the peel as well, especially if you've bought an organic one, which probably won't have been sprayed. So, you know, you need to tuck in, chop it into your curries. And oh, eat- no, no, come on. I've sat quietly by and I will, <laughs> I will not have you advocate our listeners chopping bananas into their curries. No, I'm banana afraid. peel. Banana peel, not the banana itself. Okay. Right. Use that for making bread. That's a good point about banana waste because they are using banana waste, you know, the stems and stuff to make stuff. They're, they're combining it with um, plastics to make a sort of really good thing for skateboards. I mean, I think this, this gets into the whole circular economy thing as well. Like we, yeah. all, we often think there's all these waste products, but actually if you if you look at that, there's, that could be used for something else. And so, yeah, you, you know, the, the banana skin is now is not just for, you know, co- comedic uh, slapstick moments. Yeah. It's also for making plastics as well. Well, you can make banana stems into paper, right. which is apparently more water resistant and, and stronger than wood pulp. So that's good, isn't it? Because you're not cutting trees down. Banana leather. You can make it into furniture. Furniture? Yeah, you mix it with um, plastics and epoxy resin. You can make furniture, skateboards, all sorts of things. Wow. It feels to me that there's got to be a, a very soon an ethical, ethical banana toilet paper brand to be launched. Yeah, I think there probably is. 
And you can make, um, you know, cling film. You can make a type of banana cling film. Yes, I'd heard that as well, because cling film is really horrible, isn't it? The actual cling film is disgusting. It's something to do with the gas getting through the film. Um, and because you were talking about ripening, for example. So if you wrap a mango in this banana film, it will ripen slower mm. because the gas, because I think this ethylene you were talking about mm. um, helps things ripen. So if the mango produces ethylene it just goes through the film and out so they don't ripen in the bag you know with all the ethylene going round and round getting stuck a breathable membrane yes emma in terms of the future then so like bananas will be saved hopefully through some of these disease resistant strains um, as we've talked about so some of these innovations that might come from the germ banks and the germplasm repositories yes there's also I mean, I'm probably less keen on this, but there is also uh, a sort of genetic modification solution as well, where they're sort of genetic. Well, it's it's gene editing, really. So it's much less frightening than gene modification used to sound. But if you can imagine, everything in science is now being done at a genetic level, both sort of to help humans, but also plant genetics. And you're literally going in with this new technology called CRISPR-Cas, and you're tweaking the genes. So you're doing things mm. that sometimes happen in nature, but you're able to do it so much faster these days and and get results faster. So that could be the same for, I mean, can I tell you a really interesting fact? Sorry, it's not about bananas, but gene editing does get people really upset in Europe. But Ethiopia this year became a net exporter of wheat thanks to gene tweaking to, to give them wheat that grows in more hotter, drier areas. So they're no longer reliant on exports, which is on imports, sorry, from Ukraine. And next year, they're going to be net exporters of rice. And they're trying to do the same things in Kenya and other other places that import grain, which shouldn't have to. And that is thanks to gene editing. So there's nothing to be frightened of, you know? Amazing. So we've got the disease-resistant strains. We've got these sort of gene-tweaked versions. And we've got, as we talked about earlier, that new ancestral variety domestication of the pinks and the green and white stripes and the blue ones that also might offer some more interesting possibilities and probably local ecological benefits as well. What can our listeners do? They can demand more varieties and more choice from the supermarkets i mean it's quite hard to do but but mm. because it's not like i walk into my center and go we want more bananas where are the blue bananas <laughs> but are there places we can go where, where in preference go well actually i go here to get my bananas because i get i can get a wider variety of bananas in these other places because then i think that if those start to show popularity then other people will will follow so are there suppliers of of but you know more various bananas that we can get to get our hands on i've never found any in england have you I mean, I think, so that's a no, no then. I think that's a no. <laughs> I mean, unless you live next to a big Afro-Caribbean market, I mean. I don't know, but let's set up a campaign to bring back lots of different bananas. But I suppose it's going to be cost in the end, isn't it? Mm. I don't think that. I don't think the transporters will bring them over. And I wonder if there's something people Planet Pint can get involved with, which is up, which Emma is our official sort of drinking club, uh, where people around the country come together to talk about things. I wonder if there's any of those people who get together in a pub and work out a way to import more and different types of banana into our into our world. That would be good. What else can we do? Stop wasting bananas, I guess. Stop throwing them away. More banana bread. Buy organic and fair trade wherever possible. Yes. I, I do think that's going to matter. Look for the fair trade or the Rainforest Alliance kind of logos. Is there certain countries we should be looking for produce from uh, as well, Emma? I mean, where do where the majority of bananas coming to the UK? Is there a difference between Colombian or Caribbean bananas? Well, I think the thing is, I, I don't know about you, but I've only ever seen the Cavendish sold here, and that's grown in India and South America and Asia. So it's it's very difficult for us to affect it, I think, at the moment. But but if we, as consumers, can talk about the, all the different bananas that we want to try and eat, that's where we start, I guess, is, is education. Let's start with education, telling people about all the different bananas there are, because I don't think people know. If only there's some kind of podcast format or something that we yeah. use. I don't know. Uh, so, uh, so, 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 biodiversity international, or bio, is it bio- biodiversity international? Biodiversity international. Yeah. Yes. Can we help that? Yes, you certainly can. I mean, although I say I, I just talked to philanthropists, I'm thinking of starting a way of you sort of getting involved with what we're doing and seeing what campaigns we're running, and and also if you go on my LinkedIn page, I'm going to start 
telling stories about um, women entrepreneurs and great ideas, because I think climate change feels so apocalyptic. Often it's very difficult to feel there's any good news out there. And there's some amazing things happening out in Africa, India, South America, Asia, some wonderful stories of people just, you know, doing really interesting things that's going to help the climate. So I think if I can encourage people to uh, think more positively, it's not all doom and gloom. I wonder if there's like a banana festival that could be created, you know, sort of on London South Bank or at the Sage in uh, in, in Newcastle or something like That's that. A or, brilliant or, idea. or the Edinburgh Mile. We just have banana festivals where people can experience the the diversity that is the real banana. Maybe we can do that. Maybe a listener can help us create a banana festival. Yeah. And maybe we should just go around all the markets in London and check and see what the variety is, because I think there are plantains and everything. Yeah, you can definitely get a planting down Deptford Market where, where near where I live. You get, well, you can get almost anything in Deptford Market, in, including things that aren't necessarily legal. Yeah. Uh, but um, yes, you can. I think that would be a good place to start. Ed, you're a, you're a committed environmentalist. Anything else? <laughs> no, I think I think we've got all the bases covered. If this podcast taught me anything, that when you get a sentence like there's some really good stuff going on and there's a lot to be positive about, you have to end there before we. Horseshoe <laughs> back round to another. There's so many podcasts that we had the opportunity to end on positivity, and then if we're not careful, we get back to, and that's why everything's fucked, really. So I think you ended perfectly when you talked about the good stuff that's going on and how people can find out and hear about it. Because the state yeah. of the world at the moment, that is exactly what we want to be saying. Mm. Yeah. And it's just there's just something essentially comic about bananas, isn't there? Which yeah. is nice. You can't talk about banana without smiling. Yeah, I heard someone talking about the the clowning element of bananas only this week. Uh, a sort of lesson about comedy, saying don't stress too much. Just put the banana peel down, and then it will do its job. And then we haven't even talked about bananas in pajamas, which is no. Such do you know a that sweet song? That was written by Enid Blyton's nephew. Really? Oh, I know. We could all sing it as a as the end to the podcast, can't we? <laughs> Bananas in pajamas are coming down the stairs. Bananas in pajamas are coming down the stairs. Except on Tuesdays, we will catch them unawares. <laughs> I gave you the opportunity to come out earlier. You all turned <laughs> back on me, and now look what's happened. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you so much. I think I, I, I think you are the most. Uh, well, I'm trying to think of the word to describe you. The the guest that has has has, has um, uh, moved <laughs> most freely he's, between. He's so articulate, as Paul, Paul Hawkins said, he was so articulate, didn't he? You yeah. know, it's the way you use words, Mark. It's almost magical. Oh, shut up, you cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, we we advise people to look up Biodiversity International, and Thank if they you. have uh, if they have a few million pounds ba- burning a hole in their pocket, they should uh, to, to come to you on LinkedIn. It seems. Yes, or just follow follow what our scientists are doing because they're doing some great stuff. And when you're in Belgium, go and see all the bananas in the test tubes and give them some money because the Belgian government has been really mean at the moment. So that's everything you needed to know about bananas. And I'll tell you what, a lot of stuff in there you probably didn't need to know about bananas. But it was a lot more upbeat than I was expecting because my layman's understanding was that all the other kinds of banana have been wiped out and there is only one kind and it's dying. And actually it seems like all those other species are out there and available, Mm. which I didn't know. No, you see, uh, we bring banana hope. But I'm the same as you. It's not my (laughs) favourite. I think I'd rather have a pear. My daughter suddenly announced that she doesn't like bananas the other day, and I said, you've eaten bananas for six <laughs> years. And she said, no, but I just don't like them now anymore. Like, oh, well, that's correct. because they're all the same, you see. That's why. Yeah, that's the whole point. Yeah. We're back to the point. If there was a more diversity of banana, yeah. you know, then then you wouldn't get bored of them. If you turned up with a Big Mike once in a while, instead of all this Cavendish shit. Mm. <laughs> well, apparently yeah. the Big Mike was, was much tastier. Do you know, you can also use some banana skin for polishing your shoes. So if you know if you if you're there thinking uh, my shoes are looking a little bit dirty, I'll go have a quick banana, give them a wipe, and away you go. And you're not supposed to rub on your cheese plants and stuff like that to like dust your cheese plants. If I made that up, how many cheese plants have you got? Oh, we've got a few knocking about. Yeah, Lucy's uh, Lucy's very good with a house plant actually. 
it's got to that point now where that's one of those sort of universal things that you say to each other, isn't it? You'll go to someone's house and they'll have a dead plant and they'll go, oh, I'm rubbish at house plants. And you go, oh, yeah, we're the same. They never, they only last bloody 10 minutes. Lucy's actually really good now. She's read about what to put where and how much to water or not to overwater. Mm. So we have, we have some lovely house plants. My brother runs a plant shop and people come in and go, oh, yes, I need to get some new plants because I'm so good at killing them. My brother sort of looks (laughs) at them and goes, that doesn't make me want to sell one to you. (laughs) Surely, surely it does. Surely that's repeat business for him. Yeah, I know, but just knowing you're consigning the plant to an inevitable death. Yeah, you would sell it in a pet shop, would you? You got any more hamsters, mate? The ones I get keep fucking dying. Yeah. Why is that? I keep throwing them out the window. Yeah, I put them in the wrong place. I never know whether to feed them or what. Yeah. We just we just acquired a hamster. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It was a hamster or a cat, and I didn't want a cat eating all the wildlife in the garden. So I did I did bow to the hamster, which has now bitten both of us. So um, it's it's working out well so far. Jimmy is uh, is really ingratiating himself with the family. Oh, I'm pleased you've called it Jimmy. I would like to do an episode on the future of pet ownership. Yes. Because it obviously boomed through uh, COVID, didn't it? We have talked about it quite a lot on the podcast, but not, not yeah. I haven't done a whole episode on it, have we? But we have talked about the, the carbon footprint. Is, is there an expert? Would you like me to research that for you, gentlemen? I see you could have a week off if we can get someone who'll do it. <laughs> there must be. We get Packham or someone. Oh, the, the, if you get a, a proper environmentalist on the subject of pet ownership, you've got to be careful, very careful what you wish for. <laughs> well, yes, because I mean, because also there's all the huge amount of food and the fact they sell you a whole bunch of stuff because now you have a pet. So it's, it's another sort of vehicle for you to, to promote consumerism. So it's, you know, the loving relationship you have with your with your pet suddenly turns into another vector for the destruction of the planet, he said cheerily. You've got to be happy though, haven't you? No one wants to save a planet they don't want to live on. That's right. A life well lived on a planet well loved. That's how I see it. Oh, that's nice. Have, have we waited Series 5, Episode 7 for that one to come out? It's taken me this five series to think of it. That's my new strap line. I just thought of it. That's good, that. Music for everything. So this this week I managed to get the agreement for some uh, to, to create the world's first regenerative music festival, and that's going to that's be have the strap line, life well lived on a planet well loved. So Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Not such good news, though, is that uh, we've been turned down by the BBC. Yeah. Wouldn't be the first time. I, I think it was your language that put them off us as the next Blue Peter presenters. <laughs> we were right to ask the question and they were right to say, no, it's the process working well. No, so we were we were going to have uh, a lady called Rebecca Skippage, who is the head of disinformation for the BBC, uh, come and talk to us about disinformation. But she said, oh, I just have to check with my bosses whether I'm allowed to do that. And she didn't check with the bosses. And then she sent me a text going, hello, annoying news. The bosses have said no to me appearing on the podcast. They say it's because it has a clear political viewpoint and it's a bit sweary. I paraphrase the second bit. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, I don't do we have a clear political viewpoint? I think, we do we? I don't think there's anything clear about it at all. I don't think, no, I think this, this, uh, you could listen to, and I have, every minute of every episode we've done and not quite know anything about. I think we're all broadly trying to do the right thing, aren't we? Is that a political viewpoint? Yeah, I, don't, yeah, I guess maybe. We've got Christmas coming up, haven't we? That's exciting. Y- yes. We're doing an episode on the future of Christmas. Yeah, are we? Again? Are we? <laughs> Did we do that last year? <laughs> oh, we're not then. I thought we had someone lined up for Christmas, no? Uh, we've got John Elkington, the godfather of sustainability. Um, yeah. yeah. So he, he, but he won't be talking about, well, we could ask him about Christmas. He is All like right. the fa- father Christmas of the sustainability movement without the beard. All right. Well, what should I plug that one as then? Uh, the future. Well, I think, we, we, did we just talk about the future of resilience or the future? Of, I mean, basically, John's been doing this stuff since before we were all born. Yes, he's, so, he's the Paul Hawken of the UK, yeah. in fact. Really. Okay. Yes. 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 So should we yes. plug that as exciting news? I'll let one of you... Take I tell you, I tell you what is interesting about John up. John Elkington talking about the future and 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 resilience and sustainability is that John Elkington has looked exactly the same age for his entire life. So I don't know how old he must be now. He must be approaching seventy or above it, and he still looks exactly the same as when I met him sort of twenty five years ago. It's quite extraordinary. So whatever he does for his fitness regime needs to be uh, needs to be addressed as well. I think on that episode. I think it's the moisturising regime. He's got skin like Joan Collins. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let us end on that. 
I, I think that is unlike any sentence we've ever ended an episode on. So if you want to hear the views of a man with skin like Joan Collins, you stay tuned. Um, we will be back with you next week. As always, we not only enjoy, but thrive and depend upon your interaction. So send us messages here. Our email address is hello at johnandthefuturenauts.com. What's our Twitter handle, Ed? At J and the F. And if you want to find like-minded people in the real world, why not type in People Planet Pint, our official partner for J and the F listeners to get together in pubs, save the planet and drink beer. Thank you, Mark and Ed. Are you uh, off to any more sort of football hotels or international uh, billionaire nefarious meetings this week? Mm, No, I'm going to go and eat 56,000 bananas. Yeah, I think the next week, Ed and I, I think, are in the same room along with um, some some BP execs and a few others. So that that will be interesting. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm actually off now to replace a dishwasher seal, not a dishwasher seal, a washing machine seal. There you That's go. That's animal abuse, mate. <laughs> Get a bloody dishwasher like the rest of us. So that's it for this week. Thank you for your company. We'll be back very soon. Any final comments? I love you, John. Ah, I love you too. Ed? Uh, I love you both. Ah. And I love you, Ed. Sickening, isn't it? Do you know what I'm going to do before next week? I'm going to cook my banana blossom and I'm going to tell you all about it. Nice. If that's not the cliffhanger that this series has been waiting for, I don't know what is. Come back for for John's banana blossom (laughs) update. Battered banana blossom uh, bulletin. Battered banana blossom bulletin. Bye. Bye. Playing us out today, we have my old friend, Hannah Mia Brekan, who ironically is half Swedish and half Icelandic. So sticking with that Scandi-Wegian banana theme, here is her epic little ditty, Banana Tree. Sailing far, so far to where the waters are green and clear Where bananas grow and the sun lay low That's where I wanna go To this one banana tree Banana tree, banana tree Oh, so sweet banana tree Banana tree, banana tree house never made much sense if you can't fill it with friends so i take my boat to sail and float till the horizon ends and to my dear banana tree banana tree banana tree oh so sweet banana tree banana tree Cause nothing else matters We having fun, we chilled out Enjoy the time together The forecast is saying that we getting sunny weather Now I never get up cause Life is too short to stay at home alone Cause we are surrounded by everything that grows so strong Yep, banana trees means a lot of power We never fall, we staying tall You know the world is ours Oh my dear Banana tree, banana tree, banana tree, hey, oh so sweet, banana tree, banana tree, banana tree, hey, oh my dear, banana tree, banana tree, banana tree.